Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? And welcome to episode 55 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. We're back after a little breaky, breaky boy there, but don't worry about it. And we come back with an absolute banger of an episode where we're looking right into the eyes, heart, soul of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, finally wrapping up 2007. I just think with the the podcast schedule um, and just down to the availability of guests sometimes, you know, I think that might be a little flavour of things to come where, you know, rather than the chronological release, originally intended sometimes an episode or two, a film or two, is going to be a little bit out of order. But on the whole, like I say, just don't worry about it. You'll get the episodes still, you'll get the films when you get them, you eager bloody beavers. So I'm joined this week by Ben from the fantabulously wonderful Film Floggers podcast, joining me to talk all things National Treasure 2 in this uh, absolute Disney sequel of a film. We're touching a lot of bases here, we're talking about National Treasure 2, we're talking the potential future of the National Treasure franchise, potential National Treasure theme park rides and escape rooms. We discuss our theories of what is on page 47, one of the greatest unanswered questions in National Treasure franchise history. We talk about Nicolas Cage's hair, and not just his hair, but a potential future episode slash finale for the podcast when that time comes. And there was an actor from this very film that I reached out to for a very odd question, but I get a response. Um, So all that to come in the episode. But just before then, we'll quickly get the admin out of the way. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at cage underscore podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at cage rage pod. They just hit over 100 followers over on there. And you can listen on all the usual platforms and services where you get your podcasts that's spotify that's amazon google apple podchaser deezer stitcher tuned in iheart radio and other such places acast the host provider of course but that all said and out of the way let's get into it it's daryl it's ben it's national treasure too so also it's bloody coming home what better way to finish up 2007 than with a sequel This week, Nicolas Cage returns to the role of treasure-hunting Benjamin Gates, who must follow a trail of clues to prove his ancestors' innocence in the assassination of former US President Abraham Lincoln. Now, joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if the Book of Secrets should be on everyone's shelves, or if some books should just stay closed forever, is one part of the Film Floggers podcast, Ben Davis. Ben, thank you for joining. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Daryl. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, I still do get quite shocked when anyone actually wants me to come on their show, to be honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm still I'm still coming to terms with that. But uh, no, I, I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm always uh, I'm always keen to talk about Cage. So it's a uh, no, it's a it's a pleasure. <laughs> it always makes my life a bit easy when people are up for some um, some Cage chat. But 
I suppose on that note, always interested to know with guests when we kick things off. Um, your opinion on the man? Do you sort? Do you rate him? Hate him? Tolerate him? Everyone seems to have an opinion. Uh, what is yours? I think on the whole, I'm a, I'm a fan of the cage. Yeah, yeah. You know, naturally, his his work. I guess the last you know decade or so with the more on demand films he's been sort of chugging out has been the you know the quality has differed somewhat. <laughs> but but I think I think for a lot of people it, it's very easy. People base their opinion on Cage on on his work in the last sort of maybe ten to fifteen years, where he you know unfortunately the quality has been very hit and miss, uh, and it's very it's very easy to f- to forget that the amount of films, amount of quality films he's actually has done over the course mm. of like well approaching forty you know forty years now, isn't it for Cage? Like he's been going a, yeah a long time, but um but no no I think he's he's fascinating. I've I've always found him fascinating, and and I think he's his range is is second to none I, I don't think there's many actors alive or or dead who could actually potentially match cage's range and uh yeah. the you know the, the difference that the film that the films that he's done over the course of how many years it's uh he's unique shall we say say the least <laughs> for better or worse he is very unique but i think it touches on a great point and it's something i've discussed before i think Maybe this is this just the internalized cage bias at this point in my life, but I think a lot of people who write him off, um, you, I think we've all seen the clips of him just screaming and you know out of context. Anyone looks bad if they're just screaming all the time and you don't know <laughs> where the screams have come from. Um, but like you said, he's got an untouchable body of work if you want to look at uh, the heaviest hitters, which I think some actors with the same level of service in the industry, some people would just kill for some of the films that he's been in. You know, you go back to sort of like um, uh, Raising Arizona, Wild at Heart, obviously uh, Leaving Las Vegas, an adaptation. Um, the Testosterone Trilogy, as it's called. Uh, the Rock, Face Off, Con Air. Um, and recent stuff like Mandy as well. Um I think I think even National Treasure could be you could make the argument as to, as perhaps top ten cage films in broad universal appeal, um, and I think maybe it's too much of a heavy ass to say you, everyone should watch every cage film ever made, and then you'll and then you get to speak about him. Like how dare you tarnish him with that uh, <laughs> that dirty brush of yours? Um, but with your own sort of cage viewing, is it is he has he cropped up over on the film floggers side of things before? Uh, I think we've actually up to this point we've only done Con Air with Cage. I think so that's, right. that's the only one we've done, um, which was yeah, which was an early episode. But yeah, no, thoroughly enjoyed it. But no, I, I think we need to yeah, we need to go out of our way to to do some more Cage actually. Um, I think National Treasure would have been actually one that I would have um, like well, I could, you know, we could still do going forward. Um, but no, no, we need to we our cage our filmography of cage is lacking somewhat i think we need to we need to get some more cajun because you know as, as you just said there very well it, you know he's his body of work is is second to none isn't it he's got he's got so many films that are, are worth worthy of discussion so no it's something that we need to um oh actually i know i completely forgot actually our trapped in paradise episode with, with <laughs> how can how i can forget how can yeah, you, you know, forget? Un- unforgettable with um with the man himself Petros from uh, yes. from Caged In. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that that's probably sums up that episode that I completely forgot about it. Nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with Petros. He was fantastic, but 
But the film, um, yeah, a lot to be desired with the Trapped in Paradise, unfortunately. But um, yeah, quite the, quite the experience. That. Yeah, I remember. Unfortunately, uh, Trapped in Paradise, a lot better than some of his <laughs> other films before and since that time. Um, and again, shout out to Petros, who I've shouted out before, made my, my music intro um, free of charge, which was one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. But yeah, Trapped in Paradise, um, it, it still haunts me to this day. The fact that it is it is one of um, technically a Christmas film that he's done. Technically, it's a Christmas film, I suppose, in the way that Die Hard is a technically a Christmas film, in that it just happens to be set at Christmas. But there's a, I don't know why there's a grim part of me that kind of wants to revisit it. I don't know why. It's yeah. I should say that it's not Cage. You know, Cage. It's not Cage's fault. You know, I I think uh, I feel some of some of the films that Cage is in that are bad. Maybe Cage isn't helping the situation. But but in Trapped in Paradise, I'm I'm okay, I'm okay with Cage. He, he's 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 still probably the best part of the film. Um, my my biggest issue is is the other two clowns, um, John John Lovitz and uh, Dana Carvey. I, I, I or, yeah. or struggled struggled immensely with those two. So you know, I should say that in in Cage's defence, he's um he's putting an okay shift in Trapped in Paradise. So. Yeah, I, again, I think this kind of speaks to the Cage as the actor as well. I think even in some of his most diabolical works, um, to use a term so bluntly, you're still getting a man who's hundred percent committed to that film. Um, you, you're still going to get a good performance out of him, um, as in he's not always phoning it in that comes a lot later in the 2010s when he's phoning in a few of his performances before his uh, accountant and runoff um but i think you know we're at a point here in national treasure uh bringing it up to 2007 where um there's still a bit of box office appeal for cages getting a lot of summer hits coming out you know around this time you still got films like uh, uh knowing and next the ghost rider films as well um which are still Pulling in big numbers, big audiences. I mean, National Treasure especially, um, dominating at the box office, pulling hundreds of millions. Um, I mean, for this one alone, Book of Secrets, the sequel, the budget, 130 million. Box office, 459.2 million. Um, This went straight to number one for the 2007 Christmas release. Um, Knocked I Am Legend from the top spot. So the people were ravenous. For National Treasure too, and and I suppose this kind of brings me onto a wider point I wanted to discuss as well is the fact it's been at the time of recording fourteen around fourteen years later, still no National Treasure three. I suppose jumping ahead of myself a bit. I mean, I think I think it's interesting because when you talk about I suppose Disney films, Cage films, I think this is universally a film that people want to see more of. People want more of the national treasure universe i think would you be would you be interested in a national treasure three? Oh, absolutely yeah i was i looked a bit into this um in prep for, for this episode and just to sort of see why if there was any definitive reason as to why there hadn't been a, a third one up to this point um and i guess that you know maybe there's this conflicting reports and there's there's multiple reasons why and people are busy and, and the script's been getting tossed about and it just can't be finalized and but what what I read is it seems like Disney just aren't completely on board with it just because they can't they can't market it as much as the as much as they can. They you know they want to you know when it comes to Disney they they want to have something especially that something that would become potentially a franchise with this. Yeah. 
which they can then put in their parks and they can sell those merchandise and, and they can just go to go to town with it but you know if, if that's if that's one of the reasons why i don't i don't see how how they can't get a national treasure ride in universal parks or one of the disney <laughs> parks i don't yeah. you know I, I what's i don't you know what, what's the, what's wrong with that you know it's, there's like an indiana jones one which i've been on before which is which is all right it's, it's not nothing to shout about but I, th- I think i'd love like a little roller coaster going around and k just pops up and says something <laughs> and then we go to the next room and he's john voight pops up and says something and then you get some sean bean popping up I, I, i'd be i'd be more than happy with that i think that's all right Oh God, I'd I'd love that if it was some some kind of interactive national treasure ride. Cages there, like here comes the dip, and then Sean Bean's like, <laughs> put your hands in the cart at all times. Um, <laughs> I think that'd be genuinely outstanding. That'd be brilliant. But um, like you said, I think you know, I think I'd read something before saying it was, it's difficult for them to monetize because obviously the films are so based in American history, and you can't monetize history. Um, I think the only way they could monetize it is if they somehow make it part of the Marvel universe and then multiverse it with Doctor Strange or something, and then have the Infinity Cage, which is something I'm going to pitch out right now. I think that's been one of the main issues. Although there's been recently the announcement of the National Treasure TV series coming to Disney Plus, um, that's going to have uh, a much younger cast from the uh, from the sounds of things as well. So. Not knowing whether Cage or any of the original cast members are going to return for it, but who knows on that? Yeah, point. that's that's um, yeah, I'm not not too sure about that actually. I think I th- you'd want you'd want Cage to be be in it, and I, I don't I don't know if him just be popping in for a cameo or you know he's retired and they just go and seek advice from him or something. I, I don't I don't know if that's <laughs> going to be enough. I, I think National Treasure is. Is you know is is the team they've got? I think I think taking them away and having a, a a prequel type thing or just a different going in a different direction, you know maybe maybe if it leads to a, a third National Treasure film, then you know I'm I'm on board. If it's if it doesn't, then it's like a kind of a prequel esque type thing or something a little bit different, set in a different universe. Then I don't know. I'm not too sure. No, I mean there's been there's been speculation and rumor on a third film since. 2008 maybe so at least 13 years they've been talking about it and then it's been in development hell for most of that time i think from a quick google search the most recent update was that they had uh chris bremner said to be helming a script in january of 2020 with the original cast set to return but um and then nothing until the announcement of the uh the youthful cast spin-off again it's not really known if it's going to be in the same national treasure universe or like we said it's gonna be a prequel it's gonna be its own thing um we just know it's gonna star a younger cast uh focusing on a uh, jess morales a hispanic latina american immigrant on a journey to discover family history and some treasure but um set to have the same writers um on it as well um which i think the most wonderful name in media the wibblies um the wonderful world of the wibblies um who actually return for this one Cormac and Marianne Wibberley wrote the first National Treasure also wrote Bad Boys 2 uh, and a later Cage film in G-Force um, so the wonderful world world of the Wibblies um, especially in the sort of the, the, the 2000s and the, the 2010s seemed to get a lot of um, summer box office hits the husband and wife team which 
I don't know. There's something about the word wibbly. I could just say all day. Very <laughs> lovely word to say. <laughs> yeah, well, wibblies. If you're listening, you know we we want National Treasure free. So if we have to have, if we have to have the TV series first, then fine. But as long as it leads to a National Treasure free, that's fine. Do you write whatever you want? More some more summer blockbusters. Fine. Go ahead. Is is G Force the one where? Is, does that involve like a? I want to say hamster. Uh, pretty close. Uh, guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. That's Major- it. Guinea pigs. Majority is guinea pigs. Right. Uh, Nick Cage plays a star-nosed mole, um, where he he is um weirdly putting on the same voice that he used for Peggy Sue got married, which is very nasally like kind of weird voice like that. I think if you if you didn't know who any of the cast were, you wouldn't know that was Cage. Um, for better or worse, which is um, which G Force is is fine. Um, it's it, it's a, quite a soundtrack movie as well, where it but fifty percent of the soundtrack is the same Black Eyed Peas song. Um, was when I was watching it. It made me remember a time in the um, I suppose two thousand and nine ten era when Black Eyed Peas was the only music available to anyone. Um, other music did not exist. Yeah. Yeah, that was a time, wasn't it? The where if you put on the radio or you you put a CD, it doesn't matter what the CD you used to put in, it used to play Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You put in Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Red Hot Black Eyed Peas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could put on uh, Arctic Monkeys, Arctic Black Eyed Peas, um, and other such crowbar names with Black Eyed Peas. Um, I think, I think, Your Honor, I've made my point. Um, so, uh, I mean, going into sort of the National Treasure films. Um, and I, I th- this this feels like when when you want to talk about uh, sort of cage films, I feel like the National Treasure ones are ones that um, even people who aren't cage fans, most people have probably seen or heard of a National Treasure in some description. Um, I assume for yourself the answer is yes. But had you seen the National Treasure films prior to um, recording today? Yeah. So. So I, I, I believe, well, I, I know I did on um, Petros's episode, on mine and Petros's episode of uh, Jiu-Jitsu that we did. Um, I think Petros asked me what my favourite Cage film was, and um, I was, you know, I was pretty confident, and I said National Treasure, which, <laughs> which I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to backtrack on on that statement, but, um, and I still had, a, I still had a fun time, you know, watching Book of Secrets, and then I went back and watched the um, National Treasure, so it, they were still fun, but. I feel, you know, unfortunately, while watching National Treasure and then the, the Book of Secrets, you know, giddy 13, 14, 15-year-old me probably had a, had a much better time of it than, you know, 30-something slightly grumpy, <laughs> lost lost his childish spirit me now, present day. Yeah. Um, and I, I was hoping that, because uh, one of my co-hosts, Fiona, she she hadn't seen either of the National Treasures, so I was like, oh, I'll put these on. She, she's pretty childlike. She, she's going to like these. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, no, I wasn't getting a, a great response from her either, which um, which sort of put a bit of a downer on it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that backfires. Like, but but no, with the National Treasure, yeah, I, I'd watched it when it first came out. So 2004, wasn't it? The, the first one. Yes. Um, you know, loved it. You know, I've, I've seen it, you know, numerous times, really enjoyed it. Um, I know, I know Book of Secrets, I feel even at the time when I first watched it, it wasn't, I didn't quite have the same, you know, affinity with it than I did to the first one. I enjoyed it. It's, it's a good, it's a good romp, 
um you know it's not it's not a bad sequel it it does does a lot of the same stuff um but but no i am um, unfortunately yeah they've they've not i, I guess that's you, you get that with a lot of films don't you? you know you watch something as a kid or something when you're a bit younger and, and you put it on sort of 10 15 years later and you you find problems with it and, and I, I guess when you especially when you when you want to have a chat about it and you know review it naturally yeah. you're gonna you're gonna watch it and go oh god you know i'm not sure about that oh okay you're like what, what are you doing there um so yeah so i, I enjoy both of them um still and, and i went back to rewatch the first one because I, I left book of secrets sort of you know going a bit disappointed a bit you know a bit deflated so i went back and watched the first one again and and that, that still holds up pretty well for me actually i quite i still quite enjoyed that so that was that was nice um but yeah mixed feelings with with book of secrets i have to say yeah, I think overall I'd have to agree. I mean, when I was sort of watching it, because I, I have seen Book of Secrets before, not as frequently as the first one, but I was kind of watching Book of Secrets. And I think, again, as opposed to the first one, I was kind of surprised with the sequel, how much I just not remembered about it. I think it's, like you say, it does a lot of things similarly, similarly, that's that's a word I can't say. Yeah, uh, in a similar fashion um, to the first one, I think that's one of the criticisms of it, that in some respects it's maybe too similar to the first one in what it does. Um, but I think even though Book of Secrets is a perfectly serviceable sequel, it's fine. Obviously, the, the box office backs up that there was an audience for this. Um, I think I kind of came away from it, and I kind of... I was like, if I hadn't have made notes on the film, then I would have forgotten a lot of details about it. I, d I just don't think it's as memorable as the first one. Um, I mean, you know, wh whether that's just down to, again, it doing a lot of similar things, whether the whether it's just because, and maybe some bias showing here, the villain just isn't Sean Bean. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can point fingers at a, a few certain things here, but... Um, I mean, it, it doesn't deter from the fact that I'm, I'm still ravenous for National Treasure 3, just more Cage in general. Um, I'm, you know, very, very biased and very open about saying that. But actually, at a similar point, you said that you were showing this to um, Fiona, didn't sort of get the response you were expecting. Um, you know, my other half, who is um, not a Cage fan, maybe Cage adjacent-ish at this point, just by proxy of me ruining her life in that respect. Um, because this was kind of going into like a Disney film and she's quite a big Disney fan, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a hook there, maybe there's something she'll enjoy. Um, and she wasn't interested in watching the second one at all. But even with the first one, she was kind of like, eh, no, not really, not really for me. Maybe there's just a, a certain demographic for this. Maybe it was... Uh, giddy 14, 15 year old selves back at that time who were going to be much, much more open to this, uh, that sort of looking for that Indiana Jones swashbuckling uncharted game type of romp on screen, which, um, you know, I don't know if we, we quite got it with the second one. Um, I suppose my main comparison with the first one is that in the span of three years, in the first one, you can sort of count on one hand the number of times that Nicolas Cage dresses like um early top gear era jeremy clarkson in the first one with giant white collars like these flared jeans um in this one um i think he spends half the film anyway in uh in his tuxedo from the first one his dress center's improved a little bit 
Um, the hair is still slicked back Cage. It's not a terrible Cage. I think you can just start start charting the film slowly of Cage's career when the hair starts thinning, starts growing backwards. But definitely worse films around this time uh, for his hair, such as um, Next and Bangkok Dangerous in a similar period where it got very, very bad. Um, but other than that, I think Cage is still pretty good in this. You know, this, you still get those Cage moments. Um, and we'll get into the one in... I think the biggest Cage moment is the outburst in Buckingham Palace. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> where he's, um, where in order to sort of launch a distraction so that um, they can purposely be uh, taken into a, a cage by guards. I assume that's how Buckingham Palace works. Who knows? Never been there. Um, he's having an argument with Abigail. At this point, they are separated, and he's just screaming um, every British thing you can think of, and I think this is, you know, uh, not necessarily a bad reflection on the Wibblies, but you can sort of tell sometimes of American films when they're trying to write, well, it's usually, when they're trying to write, say, London, I use that in air quotes, but you can tell the writers have never been to London or have no knowledge of England or Britain, the UK, whatever, um, when he's just screaming like, uh, Babylon squeak, whiskey. <laughs> I guess, um, but you've you've got to get your cage moment some somewhere. I think how 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 was that part of the film for you? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think I think the Wibblies have, have been a little bit a little bit lazy there. You know, I think they've just googled British slang or you know famous British cuisines, and they've just gone <laughs> like, yeah, that 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 do. You know, Cage can just do that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, so there's a, there's a holding pen at Buckingham Palace. So if, if you step out of line at Buckingham Palace, you just get put in the holding pen. That's that's interesting. I, I kind of hope that's true, actually. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I, if I can ask you about his hair, because his hair is you know it is fascinating. It's it's like its own character. It is it is a fascinating thing. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if in this one, I don't, maybe it was just how he, how he, he gelled it or he brushed it, but. It feels like he's he's got there's it's longer. I don't know if it's maybe longer from the first National Treasure, so it looks like he's got a little bit more of it, or it's not as receded as it was in the first one. Um, but I guess, do you know what he does with his hair? I, I believe present day he's maybe had a hair transplant, but do you know what he does sort of film to film where he looks like his hair is is receding? It's gotten worse, but then some films it it's looking like it's a full head of hair again. Is it just a case of he's, he's sticking on, you know, some extra hair for certain roles and then he's just going a bit more natural for other roles? I'm just, it's so fascinating. I'm just, I, it's the first thing I look at when I put a cage film. I'm just like, okay, we need to find out how the hair's looking. Do you, do you sort of have any inside info on this? I mean, to be honest, I wish I had more. I wish I could just say, um, I'm glad you brought up his hair and then just opened a little cage rolodex of information on it. Um <laughs> It is its own character, like you said, the hair. It's just, um, you, you can chant it from film to film. And this, if there hasn't been, there should be, I think, a categorical list from sort of zero to like 110, however many films is made at that point, that charts the rank of best to worst cage hair. Um, I mean, I think, I think present day from the most recent thing he's probably done, which would be at this point, Willy's Wonderland and, um, sort of the history of swear words on Netflix. 
I think he's definitely had some hair work done. I think, uh, what is that technique called? Electrolysis or something like that? Definitely a hair transplant, surely, because it looks... Um, I mean, just looking at the cardboard cutout behind me for a second here, um, which, for reference, I'm not sure what year this cage was, um, but there's there's definitely more of a, a fringe that he's got now. It looks a bit thicker in modern day. It looks... And I say this with all due respect to the greatest actor of our generation, the golden hog of Hollywood himself, Nicholas Cage, uh, because he's 57 years old at the time of recording, 2021. Um, that hair is too youthful for him. Um, and again, I say that with all due respect. Um, but I, in, in this point of his career, I think there must have been a team of people just trying to keep it, <laughs> keep it in check. Because, uh, like I said, with the, with the film uh, next, I think that was some of the worst Terry's ever had. But it's kind of like that, um, kind of like a widow's peak kind of thing. But it's thinning at like the sides rather than like just a full respectful thin. Um, and then it's kind of just, I don't know, almost Dracula esque in a kind of way, just slicked back, um, and. I don't know if it's, if he just didn't have any self-awareness or he's just a man that doesn't care or if maybe on some level he feels that the hair he has supports the character as in the roles that he plays. Maybe it's part of his madness. Maybe it's part of the method. Um, but I am willing to be scientifically funded for more uh, for more research on this and uh, get into that for you. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, as I said, it is, it is just... Um... It is fast, and I, I should. I, I guess I put it out there now that if, um, in the future, if if you want to get together again and potentially rank Nick Cage's hair from best <laughs> to worst, um, as just yes. a, just a single podcast, just to maybe a special, maybe get Petros involved, any other Cage people out there who just love Cage, jump aboard. And I, I'd love to sort of just spend a bit of time ranking the 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 wacky and the the fascinating hairdos of Nick Cage. <laughs> Well, you know, right there you have it, me and Ben, an open invitation to any podcasts who may want in on the um, the, the the National Cage, the Hair Treasurer working title. We'll figure out the title, um, but there will be a definitive ranking, um, a voting system, shall we say, as well. Um, and then that, that'll probably be a two-hour-long special. There'll probably have to be oh, some yeah. kind of musical interlude. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do it, I'm putting on a tux for a Zoom call. I'm going full Oscars with it. Um, as I've said before, Daniel Day-Lewis, not invited. You're not welcome. Um, but yeah, um, consider me consider me 110% on board for a definitive uh, hair ranking. Um, or if that, if that, you know, when this, this podcast of mine, obviously it's a cage podcast, it's a finite podcast, Unfortunately, there'll be, a, there'll be a time when he's not making any more films. If that is the last ever episode I do, and it's the hair ranking, so be it. I'm putting, I'm putting that out there into the world right now. And um, yes, well, you know, what better way to go out than that? And, and also, that invite <laughs> does extend to the man himself. So, Nick Cage, if if you are, if you do ever listen to this, please, we'd, you know, we'd love to have you. Absolutely, you know, if. I would love him to be there to the golden envelope and at number one, the best hair is, or even if it's just um, uh, maybe like a, a live link video of him saying, Daryl, please stop. Um, what an honor. What an honor that would be. 
Um, but uh, away, away from his hair, I suppose, in terms of other potentially bad things, um, I always find it interesting to see films that get nominated for awards. Um, for better or worse, in 2008, this is something I mentioned on the Ghost Rider episode as well, uh, Nicolas Cage received a Razzie nomination in 2008 for Worst Actor. Um, it seems to be collectively judged on the full output um, of the year preceding so he was judged on this National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, Ghost Rider, and Next. Um, but he would lose out to Eddie Murphy for his single role in Norbit. Um, so I find Cage is a man who seems to get a few Razzie nominations. I don't think he's ever won one, which is a good thing. Um, but I think the Razzies are always so interesting that... Um, I think, you know, they're, they're tongue-in-cheek. They sort of celebrate the worst, worst of the, the worst. I think Eddie Murphy is one of their... Um, someone from their perspective who's won a lot of Worst Actor awards. But I think they made an award for him recently where it was like Biggest Turnaround or something like that. I could be misremembering the name because he got... I think he won an award or some kind of adulation for um, My Name is Dolomite. Um, and then the Razzies seemed to turn around on him in that respect. Um, so I don't know at this point who the worst actor is according to the Razzies, but they if they say it's Cage again, there's going to be some sternly worded emails and they will not be invited to the Hair Awards. Let me tell you right now, Ben. Yeah, I should ask you actually, um, is there is there a, a, I don't know if maybe there is, there's a few, but is there a film of Cage in that, that you've seen that it may be a bad film, but it's it's bad because of mainly because of Cage, or is there a film where it could have actually been it may have actually been better if Cage wasn't in it? You know, as you said, you know he he has been dialing it in somewhat the last sort of ten to fifteen. You know, for for, for some roles, other roles he, he's obviously turned up and he's put a, a great mm-hmm. shift in. But are, are there are there films where if he would have won the Razzie for you'd have gone yeah, I, you know, a Cage, <laughs> I, I love you, but do you know what I think maybe. Yeah, like you deserve that one. Unfortunately, even though it kills me to say it, that that was that was not uh, a good performance. I I could see the pain in your eyes and the regret as the syllable started coming out of your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think, I, I mean, I suppose the one that would come straight to mind would probably be the Wicker Man remake. But I'm of the I'm kind of of the opinion on that. That if you've seen it, that. I'm kind of weirdly defensive of it. Like, it's, is it a good film on the whole of things? You can make the argument that it's not. I think if you just view it in the in in the mirror that they now claim it should be viewed in air quotes again, that it should be viewed as a black comedy. And if you go into it viewing it as a comedy, it's actually hilarious. It's actually one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Um, I know there's, there's certain later films, I think when a lot of his outputs, and we're probably talking the mid-2010s here, when most of his stuff went straight to DVD. Because um, I think of the the, uh, the documented um, tax and financial reasons. Um, I mean, phone in USS Indianapolis Men of Courage, he's definitely phoning it in there. But that's that's a weird one because it's one of those films which I think he, he still tries to find a way to defend because he's like, oh, I always wanted to do a film at sea. But he's just he's just kind of there. He's so static and cardboard. Um, one film which I think admittedly I haven't seen at this point of recording is um, 211, 
which I think, if I'm not mistaken, is the only film that he has ever um, disowned from from his entire back catalogue. So potentially that one, but I'd have to get back to you. But from ones that I have seen, I don't know, maybe, maybe USS Indianapolis. But I think I think there's a weird way in which he kind of, there's something memorable about him, even even in his worst strokes. There's something memorable about him, um, which which I think comes into the, the weird it factor about him. Is why he's got that thing that you can't always put your finger on, and even if you do hate him, you kind of can't help but remember him. Um, so I, I I appreciate this is kind of a cop out non answer. Um, no, it was a tough question. It was a tough question. I can understand t- your pain and, and you struggling with it because it's it's not easy. I know, absolute filibustering over here. Um, <laughs> you know, just, just you know, this is the, the closest to a Tory MP I'll ever be. Just rattling <laughs> off, <laughs> trying to wind down the clock. Um, but no, I think the, the the stock answer is he's never made a bad film. How dare you? Yeah, uh, that's that's when we end the the recording. You, uh, <laughs> for the audience, we've 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 actually had a, a virtual fisticuffs um, asking us a question, but we've we've uh, we've reconnected, we've we've talked it over, and we've we've restarted. So, Daryl, yeah, I apologise. Yeah, there was actually a, a cut in between the, a week of tense negotiations on parties yeah. on both sides, but um, you know, I have returned Ben's invite to the Hair Awards since since the interlude. Um, but now, <laughs> moving on from such uh, tense negotiations, um, we, we get into National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. Uh, directed John Turtletaub Returns, uh, directed National Treasure 1, also directed Cool Runnings, uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, another cage film, and 2018, was it 2018? Uh, the Meg, starring Jason Statham. Um, that was a film I paid money to see at the cinema. Um and that's as much as I'll say on the matter. Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm there with you. I, I put some hard-earned cash down for that as well. <laughs> Look, I was lulled in by Statham versus Shark as much as anyone else. Yeah. Um, did I laugh at scenes that I shouldn't have laughed at? Absolutely. But God damn it, that was my right to do so. Um, so the film sort of kicks off as we touched on in the intro. Um, a bit of a flashback to the 1800s. We're just removed from the Civil War. Uh, Thomas Gates has been asked to decode a Playfair cipher by John Wilkes Booth and Michael O'Loughlin, who um, basically, if you're not up to speed on your American history, were sort of architects and conspirators behind the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Um, but I, f- I feel like with, with this sort of a lot of the film is obviously he's, he's geared towards an American audience because it is so ingrained in American history. And it's kind of like, if you you are American and you know your history and your um I guess your presidential history as well, it feels like that when April fourteenth, eighteen sixty five popped up on screen, I feel like there was a part of me that if I was an American history buff, I should have been like, Oh, 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 significant date. But for me, just being a Briton, I was like, Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> tell 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 me more about why this is a significant date. But then we get into it and Thomas Gates decodes a cipher, um, finds out it's a treasure map. Uh, Thomas is shot. Um, but then this is kind of a plot point. Again, unless I miss something, they seem to drop it quite quickly that these um, conspirators, I think it was Michael O'Loughlin that shoots Thomas Gates. He has that pin badge that says he's part of the Knights of the Golden Circle, which is like a secret society. I think a quick Google search said they might have 
make their own state or something within America. But it kind of makes it seem like, oh, is is the Knights of the Golden Circle going to be this thing that carries through to the film? Is there going to be a present-day Knights of the Golden Circle in the same way that in the first film, like the Freemasons were kind of a thing? Um, and then you have it with um, Harvey Keitel's character, Agent Sandusky. He's a modern-day Freemason who's been helping Cage out. But they kind of drop it. It's kind of just there and like another thing for the history buffs to be like <laughs> 1865 and the old uh, the, the old kgc <laughs> tapping the nose like i know what that's all about for me it's kind of the first 10 minutes kind of meant like not much really yeah no you're right it's you know you, you've mentioned um ed harris and and sort of you know comparing him to say sean bean and I think I think Mitch is is yeah like Ed Harris you know big fan of Ed Harris I like Ed Harris but um yeah I think he's the playing the bad guy in this is quite he's quite underwhelming and his sort of little team of you know his team that he is that's with him is is sort of just a bit ugh. and yeah it, it would yeah I, I thought maybe you know mentioning this this sort of secret organization that you know maybe is still alive and kicking today yeah we may see just people pop up just to get in Cage's way. You know, they're, they're trying to find stuff. They're trying to find clues. And then people just keep popping up with a badge on. They're like, oh, oh no, God, he's part of the organization. Oh, God, run. But we don't know. It's, it's, we see it. We're like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then we're just, it's just forgotten about. It's just put in the bin. And then we're, we're just treated to Ed Harris, just sort of just casually just tailing Cage for the rest of the film, which is, yeah, it's, um, is, is this the first film that they're in together since The Rock, Ed Harris and Nicolas Cage? Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah um, okay. I think Ed Harris was one of the. Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember what role Ed Harris was in The Rock. Obviously, Cage was Stanley Goodspeed and Sean Connery. They were sort of the heroes. I think he was the leader of the the Rebel Army faction. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so the first film film they've been in together is in about I think ten or so years at this point, about eleven years. Um, there was another sort of tidbit sort of relating to The Rock as well. Um, Obviously, Ed Harris is. You know, I think we'll, we'll get into him a little bit more. There's a part when they're in London and Ed Harris steals the car of a guy. Apparently, um, according to IMDb at least, um, the guy who gets his car stolen um, is the same man who gets his Hummer stolen by Sean Connery in The Rock, um, which in my mind must mean, in no uncertain terms, that The Rock and the National Treasure films exist within the same universe. That's uh, the national yeah. rock, the rock treasure. Yeah, no, I uh, think that's a fair assumption. I think, I think that's you know, if we're going to talk about conspiracies that aren't followed through, I'm going to throw that one into the universe and say, um, unfortunate man who must keep calling his insurance. Um, he's he's right there on the top of my pin board with all red strings. He's significant. Um, or maybe, maybe this is, they're holding this is me back still for looking the, for um, um, answers. In the wake of the Line of Duty finale, me still trying to make things, oh. put conspiracies in things. Yeah, yeah, he's actually H. He's the, he's the <laughs> one. Guy. H stands for Hummer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I, maybe they're saving for, for the third one. Maybe that's that's when, um, you know, that's where the real treasure is. The ultimate treasure is uh, is this guy. He knows where it is. He's guarding it. Um, and It's in the yeah. third car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting that car chase as well. Yeah, they, they, uh, Ed Harris and his team decide to commandeer the, 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 the biggest and the slowest moving vehicle in London, which is not sure about how that was a, a wise plan, but you know, anyway. Yeah, so the, the heated pursuit from, uh, from Buckingham, Paris, and London, it's a, a big, 
beer keg moving lorry that's just got London Pride tattooed all over it. So I don't know if um, uh, London Pride was a sponsor or something of the film here. Some free publicity for London Pride. Um, the cage beer of choice, perhaps. Um, but this this is kind of what Ed Harris does in the film. He's, he turns up at the start. Um, so when we get to the present day, you've got uh, Ben Gates, Nick Cage, and he's... Um, Dad Patrick, played by John Voight, they're giving a lecture about. I think they're basically explaining the flashback that we've seen, and they're like, "All oh, the like, eighteen pages were ripped out of that diary. We'll never know." And then Ed Harris just happens to turn up in the most ominous sort of um, then seat that you can get in the lecture hall. It's like, actually, I've got the missing piece right here, laminated, kept preserved for one hundred and forty-four years. And then I think he gets he put on the big screen. And I think what I would have found annoying about this if I was in that lecture hall is that he makes this bombshell announcement. He's cast aspersions on the the, the, the family name of the Gates to say they're actually a family of conspirators. They're a traitor to the American people in this country. And then if I was in the audience, I'd be like going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, what the fuck is this? And then they 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 do that little test to put the page together in the diary to see that it fits. And all the audience who've paid tickets or whatever to go into that lecture hall, they've been asked to leave. So they've done this in private. I'd be like, hang on a minute. Absolutely not. I want to be here for history. That's literally what I'm here for. I'll be furious. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they get a bit of a... Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it? I, I kind of feel like they build it up and then they just get to, they just get all told just to get... You know, they're like, oh, hang on a minute. This is interesting. This is a bombshell. Yeah, you know, you need to leave. This isn't part of the ticket admission. Get a help. <laughs> I just like that Ed, um, I'm saying Ed Harris, um, Mitchell Wilkinson, he must have like, you know, just been following the events at that lecture hall. It's like, right, finally the Gates family are putting on this lecture. It's time for me to get this specifically, this seat, make my announcement. Um, but it, it's something that um, Sandusky touches on later because when um when his agents are kind of looking into this they're like oh it turns out you know that gates guy he you know there might be some more to him and it's like okay well why he's the only one who asks like a sensible question he's like well can can we find out more about wilkinson please can we find out why he's turned up right now and again maybe i missed something i don't know if they ever do you don't see those fbi agents again i think they just clock off have the rest of the shift off don't do their jobs um, I think the only explanation you get from Wilkinson is to is kind of like, I'm not actually a bad guy, sort of. Even though I've had my goons assault your dad, clone his phone, kidnap your mother, I'm not bad. Um, I just wanted to, you know, clear my family's name. This was the only way to make you get on board. And I just kind of think, okay, I mean, you know, it's a Disney film. Someone has to be the baddie, but you could have gone to after the lecture and like. Like, I didn't really want to make a scene during the lecture, but I've actually got this and, you know, I wanted to keep this quiet. It's quite important. This film could have been dealt with so quietly. Now, it would have been only a 15-minute film, admittedly, but um, I just think Wilkinson went about this completely the wrong way. Maybe I'm too much of a pacifist. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I believe all the FBI do is is they just come to the conclusion that he was a mercenary and his team were were doing something, and and that's kind of about it, and... Yeah, I guess as you said, yeah, they could have just had a um, a bit of a quiet word rather than just finding Mitch just now chasing Ben and everyone else around the world. 
<laughs> you know, just sort of flashing this bit of paper. He goes, like, don't forget we've got this. Um, and just sort of trying to, you know, I, I know that's the point. He's, he's he's getting Cage, you know, he's he's riling Cage up by, you know, um, tarnishing his family name to get him to try and find the clues to the the, the city of gold, um, which is fine. You know, I, I, I get his, um, you know, I get his, uh, his, his motives, but yeah, it, it could have been probably dealt with um, a lot easier and, and caused sort of a, a lot less pain for everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess Mitch is just, he want, he was just, he wanted, um, you know, it's, it's a long, it's a long time to be sitting on that info as well. You know, 144 years to be sitting on that, on that diary entry. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, as you said, you know, the, 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 the film needs a bad guy. Uh, and, and to be fair, I, I guess in, in National Treasure, Sean Bean is, he's not that, he's not that much more interesting as such. I, I guess it just, there's a different dynamic because they're together to start off with. And he's, you know, they're, they're both sort of trying to find the same thing. And Sean Bean's in it for like, you know, he wants the money more. He's not that fussed about the treasure. He just wants, he wants, you know, the riches from it. Uh, and then they, they separate and they, you know, they betray each other. And so there's a bit more spite to it, um, which makes it a bit more interesting. But, and, and you just find, you know, Sean Bean has just got resources that you just don't know how, but he's got them. He can, he can do everything. He can get any, any bit of kit you need. Uh, and then he just, he, he's just a bit more interesting, isn't he? I think Mitch Wilkinson, him and his team from the start, it's just like, eh. and that's kind of how the film just treats it. It's just like, yeah, he's there. He's the bad guy. He's got this reason because he's family. Uh, and we just, yeah, just, just get on with it. Just enjoy. Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's a great point. I think there's just more, um, more intrigue in Sean Bean's character in the first one because, like you say, there's more of a connection. There's kind of there's more reason to care about the good guy bad guy dynamic in that one than there is in this one. It's kind of just Wilkinson just inserts himself into a situation in a hostile way from the get go. Guns are blazing. Um, Sean Bean, like I said, they're friends at the start, but they they go down these different paths. They just have a different way of how to get treasure. Um, uh, maybe that's one of the things as well. I think with the with the Disney films, I suppose you kind of have to do. I think bad guys maybe in a certain dare I say safe way because I think with a PG film, which I think this is, I, I don't know that there could be that much threat of your lead character being killed off. I don't think that um you know one of Wilkinson's goons was going to kind of come behind um Ben Gates' dad in his home and just like slit his throat and like the Wilkinson send their regards. Um, or anything like that, which you know, I'm kind of up for. Um, if we want, if we want to make National Treasure three really spicy, but it's just a lot of scenes of just goons being outsmarted. Um, the trio of Ben, Abigail, and Riley just running away faster um, than the FBI or the goons, or jumping into a car and driving it a little bit more skillfully than someone else. I mean, we get we get a few car chases in this a few exciting moments which again i suppose touching back in a way in the line of duty finale which i think a lot of the public seem to want just an explosion or a car chase i think one of the, my not necessarily favorite bits but when they're trying to drive through that london side street and then they're just like why is no one moving out of the way i think maybe that's one of the most accurate things they could have picked up <laughs> about um just about Britain, and it kind of made me think of a friend of mine from um, university um, who's from Leeds. Uh, his name's James. I remember one of we sort of meet each other at the start of university. Um, we were all massively taken aback by his absolute nonchalance to crossing the road, and, and we were like, 
well, you're not going to wait for the light, there's traffic oncoming. And he said sort of the most northern thing was, what's it going to do? Hit me. Um, we were kind of like, yes, that's kind of the point. Um, to this day, I don't think he's ever been hit by a car, but he just made me think of, <laughs> I think all those um, Londoners just looking at Cage, like, like what are you going to do? Hit me. Um, and and he doesn't. And maybe that's the most accurate thing that happens happens in there, other than them, you know, classic American being surprised by the steering wheel being on the other side of the car. Oh, Another course, such yeah. British humour. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like that was maybe done by accident because judging by the palace scene uh, and, and the, you know, the, the British stuff that Cage is throwing towards us, it's, I kind of feel like that, that that's, that's very detailed. I feel like you need to do, do your research to know that if you go into London, people aren't moving quick and, and they're, they're not moving in a hurry. Um, so, yeah, I kind of feel like that was sort of done by, um, done by sort of accident. But, yeah, no, it's, it's effective. It works. Um, and it, it's, it does sub it up nicely. But, yeah, no, as you said, going back to the line of duty, yeah, um, yeah, some more, some more explosions. If, if we could just take that scene and just put it in the line of duty finale and maybe just put H in the truck or, you know, wherever he's, you know, he's somewhere, that, yeah, maybe we'd have been on board with that. Maybe, maybe Nick Cage turned up, you know, God, oh, imagine that. Well, if it, if it wasn't, and I said spoilers, if you've not seen the line of duty yes, finale, sorry. there'll be a spoiler in three, two, one. You've been warned. Um, if the fourth man didn't turn out to be Buckles, but it was actually reveal Nicholas Cage or Nicholas oh. H. Cage, close enough. Um, and now that, that would have been a finale that would have got Twitter absolutely screaming. Um, I think my only other note aside from Line of Duty was um, the number of puzzle boxes that happen in this film, or should I say, uh, overly convoluted, tricky IKEA desks with uh, latch systems and doors and pulleys and levers. Um, one of my notes here is like at this point, actually, something we touched on earlier with the uh, the National Treasure theme park ride. Disney also make a National Treasure themed escape room. You've got all you've got all the pieces. I mean, you could should put history and puzzle boxes and desks and uh, you know UV lights for or whatever it is they use on that page. That spectral analysis, I think it is. Yeah. Um, which Abigail just happens to have a computer in her mansion that can perform spectral analysis, as we all do. As we Standard, all do. Yeah. I still don't know what spectral imaging does, but but they seemed confident doing it, and that's all that counts. Until they found it was um, Edward Labouillet, I think it was the um, who uh, created the Statue of Liberty. That sort of starts them on. This is actually kind of things me saying earlier that I'm forgetting about what happened in the film. Like in the first half an hour of the film, they've been to America, they've been to Paris, they've been to London. By sort of the second hour of the film, I completely forgot they'd been to Paris. Yeah, they do get around quick. Um, Abigail, for example, she she chats to. Um, cage's dad and then she's yeah before you know it i don't i don't know how how much time is, has gone from nick cage saying you know we've got a we've got an appointment in the morning at the, at the palace you know that's gonna be very good that's how we're gonna go look at the desk uh and then they're in the palace and then she just walks up the stairs it's like wow that's that's pretty that's pretty good going and <laughs> and also i was I, I was interested to see i'd like to have seen that scene but without abigail being there because i i'd like to have known what cage had planned for causing the scene yeah um just to see if he was going to just start, I don't know, like punching people and throwing <laughs> stuff around. It was I just, it would have been interesting to see sort of a, a, in an alternative scene um, where Abigail's not there and what he had planned for um, getting put in this pen that, that apparently exists at Buckingham Palace. So, yeah, a bit of a shame, but she needs to be yeah. there. So, 
That's actually a really good point because he, you know, she sees him putting in that little earpiece and eventually when they're arguing, she clocks on what's happening because she clocks the earpiece in his ear. Um, but that's a good point what the plan actually was because Riley's sort of hiding in a toilet. He's hacking into all their systems um, because computers, I don't know, he's he, not explained. He doesn't need to be explained. It's just a thing that he can do. Um but then when he's arguing with her, Riley's in his ear going, no, we need to cause a scene. So that begs the question, were they, was the plan originally not to cause a scene? Were we, was he just going to ask, um, oh, can you put me in a cage, governor? And it would have just happened. Was he going to pull out a gun and just start firing it into the air? Because um, I'm, there's no reason to suspect that they, <laughs> they actually had a plan before Abigail turned up and they just called it on the fly. The only semblance of improvisation is when they, when Ben and Abigail are going to the desk, actually, and he takes the flowers with him for no reason, apparently, just so we can look a bit funny as they're going in like that, that, that dumbbell waiter elevator thing. And then they walk past a maid and then they both stop and be like, oh, look, at the, look at the flowers that we're holding here. So the only person they disguise themselves from is a maid who, from the speed she's walking, has no interest in them being there anyway. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's like implied that 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 just happens on a regular basis. That's sort of a day to day thing that people, uh, you know, like Cage and someone else, just two complete strangers holding flowers and just mincing through the the Queen's living quarters, uh, and that's just that's fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, oh, we haven't seen you before, but I, I'm sure those flowers are going towards the Queen's room. So, yeah, crack on. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't know how many times you've been to the Queen's living quarters hidden behind flowers, but for me. We just, you know, just give the old nod and say like, yeah. oh, it's you from the two pence piece. Um, <laughs> and we have, we have a right old laugh, me and Lizzie. Um, but I, d- I just don't know how much of a plan that they ever actually had, had or have, because they're just led by the clues. I think at this point, they're, they've gone to Paris. They found this scripture on the Statue of Liberty, which, side note, I did not realize there were three Statue of Liberties. I thought there was only one. But there's one in the one in New York. There's one in Paris, and then there's one somewhere else that doesn't matter because I can't remember it. So I learned that from the film. If I didn't learn anything else about the, the, the three the three liberties, and then they get stopped by the um, the French police, who are surprisingly willing to help them. And I suppose this also feeds into a larger point about Riley as well. Um, Riley, sort of the the sidekick who returns from the first film. In this film, he's not having a great time. Um, at the end of the first film, he's got his red Ferrari. Uh, he's now an author. He's sort of cashed in on the events of the first film. He keeps getting mistaken for Ben Gates. Um, his Ferrari gets towed. He has somehow been lumped with, I think it was a six or seven million dollar tax bill, which we don't know if we can afford. Um, Abigail and Ben have completely gotten away with it. Um, now all they want to do is sort of kind of Ben and Abigail, their motivation is just to sort of reconcile, which they do by the end. They want to help each other, but also clear the Gates family name. Riley, in no uncertain terms, just wants to get laid. That's his entire motivation for the film, which I I guess, hey, 2007, that was a time to be an author. Um, what, (laughs) what were your sort of thoughts on, uh, I guess, I guess maybe you posted the first film for like uh, the other cast members for Riley, especially in this one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of more the same, isn't it? To a point with Riley, but it's, um, I'm guessing with this, I'm a bit more 
is that we're not not really supposed to feel sorry for him, but it's like, you know, everyone sort of just gives Riley the boot. It's like, Riley, do this, you know, oh, Riley, sorry, we haven't got a chance to read your book yet, you know, right? And obviously the Ferrari's been taken and he's, you know, he's got a bit of debt. So we're supposed, you know, we're supposed to sort of feel a bit of sympathy for Riley a little bit. And he's, you know, he's he's part of the gang, but he's he's sort of always kind of just, you know, he's, he's told just, just to be quiet. And he's, he's uh, you know, the, the his input within the, uh, within the actual team is not really sort of appreciated somewhat. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, he's okay, isn't he? I guess they had to do something with him from the first, like just change it up slightly from the first one, give him a couple of things to do. Um, I think I think maybe probably the first one, he's he's probably just a bit better just because we haven't got all this extra baggage as such because in the second one, because he's, he's doing pretty much the same stuff. He's coming out of some wisecracks and he's, you know, he's like, you know, he's this guy who's trying, he's trying his best to try and fit in and show that he's really important. Um, but they've, they've just had to add a couple more things for him to sort of, you know, worry about. And I guess with having the book and then having, he gets his moment because he's like, oh, you haven't read my book. Oh, well, I've got the answer to this. Similar to what we get in the first one when he knows about daylight savings and he likes to sort of, you know, take that in and go, oh, God, this is how it feels. This is how it feels knowing <laughs> something you don't know. Oh, this is fantastic. So, we, you know, we have that with the book, which is nice. But yeah, um, overall, I guess with the with the film in general, it, it's... it's um, it's mixed. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, it, it, again, it touches to a larger point where the, the characters are established at this point, so there's not too much new that you can actually do with them other than just continue what we already know about them. So I think um, Riley is just kind of the, the downtrodden comedy of the film. Like like I said, that moment in the first one when he's like, I actually know something that you two don't. It's like, I, I need a minute to savour this. I was like... That was actually quite funny because he he's in many ways sort of the voice of the audience. He's sort of, you know, asking the questions where you want to ask. But this time it's like, shut up, Riley. He's He is, again, for lack of a better term, very much cucked in this film. He is very much the cook of National Treasure too. Um, to the point where they, they, <laughs> they only read his book when it's useful to them finding more clues. Which in a way I'd kind of be like, I'm actually livid at you two right now do you know how long it takes to write a book about history and conspiracy theories and the research that's gone into this and now i'm just a source for you in your grand adventure um so the fact that he sticks around with them is um you know i think at this point i think he just does it for the money which i suppose in a way if i was riley i would as well I would absolutely cook myself for like one percent finder's fee of um of a big treasure so you know, maybe I'm naming my price too early, but heck, what are you what are you gonna do um, if you get a Ferrari out of it? But eventually, it leads them to um, you know going down all this clue of the clue of the clue as as is the film, as is the plot. They eventually meet up with Ben's mother, Emily Appleton Gates, played by Dame Helen Mirren, who is a uh, professor of Native American studies. Um, her translations lead them basically to find the uh, the lost city of gold um i was looking into this because obviously for a film like this you know dame helen mirren a huge get for a film like this um she said in an interview that's the uh the reason she took the role was basically for fun uh she said at that point she wanted to be in an, a sort of ensemble piece didn't want to be the star of the piece and at that point she'd never been in her own words a big 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 budget movie before 
She said it was wonderful to, uh, wonderful to participate in something like that, where there is enough money to do what you want to do. And further mentioned, it was great to be in something where budgetary constraints weren't an issue. Um, so Dame Helen wanted to stretch her wings. She wanted to have a good time. And um, it seems like she did. I think, I suppose it does seem like the cast are having a good time in this. It does seem like they're having fun. So it helps the film tick along. Um I liked Dame Helen Mirren being in it. I think it's more a selling point of the film. It's one of those roles. I think, I think you could argue for a few roles in this. Um, you know, didn't necessarily have to be Dame Helen Mirren. I'm not upset that it was. Um, I'd be happy if she wanted to turn up for a sequel as well. Um, did you enjoy seeing um, uh, Dame Helen in this when she turned up as well? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a nice change of pace, wasn't it, Helen? Because I, for, for for Helen, because I believe wasn't it the year before she did um, the Queen? She, yes. Um, yeah. I, so I guess for her it was a nice change of pace, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, I, I think I think um, I think her and John Voight work quite well. I, I like I like the whole the whole dynamics of of, of John Voight being you know oh god you know I haven't seen her for thirty two years or. And then, of course, they walk through the door, and she's like, "Ugh!" And they just—they basically just, you know, pick up where they left off. So it's kind yeah. of, you know, it's kind of cute in some ways. And yeah, I'm, I'm on, I'm on board with that. Um, what I would say is, you know, you've, you've mentioned, you mentioned just, um, just then when you were saying about introducing Helen, uh, and you know, they're, you know, going through, the, they're basically just going through the clues, and you know, that's that's what these two films are, aren't they? they they're just going from clue to clue, getting to the final, you know, where, where the treasure is or where they need to be. Um, and I guess in in some ways that's that's one of the issues I maybe have with Book of Secrets is that getting to the clues and and the scenarios they find themselves in just maybe isn't as not not as as not it's not interesting but it's just not as maybe as fun when they're going from clue to clue it's you know the, the fact that we have to see Cage under you know, underneath a desk a couple of times mucking about with combinations <laughs> like I, you know I get it it's part of you know they got to get the next clue. Uh, and you know the resolute desk. There's two of them. That's fine. But it's like, you know, I, I don't need to. You know, ideally, I'd prefer not to be seeing you under a desk twice, Cage, for you know a considerable period of time. It's a bit. It's not boring. It's still fun. You know, the scene in the White House when when they're there. But it's like just going from clue to clue is just not as I'm not as you know I'm not sort of hooked by it as as much as I was in the first one. I mean, that's maybe yeah. an issue for me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, desk me once, shame on me. Uh, desk me twice, <laughs> shame, shame on Cage. Yeah. Um, bringing up the Queen, actually, from 2006, apparently Helen was actually invited to meet Queen Elizabeth, uh, but couldn't make it because she was filming National Treasure 2. Oh, well, uh, there you go. Says, uh, Sorry, Liz, I've got a Cage project I'm working on. Um, so history will know she made the right choice. Um in terms of sort of characters as well, and I, and I suppose, like you said, you know, um, with films like this, it's, I think, it, it easy to sort of miss how quickly the pace of these films can go. Because like I said, the first half hour, they're in America, they're in Paris, they're in London, then they're back to America again, they're in Buckingham Palace, they're in the White House, then they're, um, they're in Mount Rushmore, they're in caves. Um, it's just like bang, 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 bang. It, it moves, it moves really quickly. So sometimes you can miss the comedy um I did like right at the end, as you said, the, the um, relationship between Patrick and Emily. I thought that worked really well. And it was just like one line right at the end when uh, the film has concluded they're excavating the City of Gold and Emily's like, um, it was like, oh, you're not taking stock of this. You're not taking a, a note of this. You need to take a list of this. You need to do this. 
And then Patrick's just like, you should try buying a sofa with her. And I don't know why that made me chuckle. I thought, you know, <laughs> of old married couples and the things that they say. Um, there was another character, and I don't know if you picked up on this, speaking of the White House scene, which really caught my attention. And I was, I got really curious about this. There's when um, Ben and um, Emily Allegale are going to the White House because they want to get into the Oval Office. They're using uh, Connor Ty Burrell's character, who is the curator of the White House, basically to get in there um, and look at the Resolute Desk. There's um, a kid in a bow tie who argues with Cage about the Lincoln conspiracy, an actor called Zachary Gordon, and they get into this weird argument about um, sort of what actually happened, and the kid's like, well, explain why only one road was open, explain why Lincoln had no bodyguards, and then Cage basically dismisses him, says, like, leave me alone, you impossible child. And then, if you notice this, the kid does a really weird hand gesture at him, like he points his fist... But instead of pointing his index finger, it's kind of curled, and he points this curled finger at him. And I don't know why that... I was like, what is... That's, I've never seen that hand gesture in my life. What does that mean? So um, I was digging into this. There was some saying it's like a pirate gesture, which is like a pirate hook thing. I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Um, some said it's actually the same hand gesture that uh, the kid Danny Torrance made in The Shining when he's chanting Red Rum. Um, there was another Disney movie to say it's a sign of annoyance, this finger curl. Um, there was another film directed by John Turtletaub in 2000 called The Kid, starring Bruce Willis. And there's a, a younger character in that where, um, played by Spencer Breslin and the finger curl, there's a trait of that character. So maybe it's some kind of like motif or something that the director has. So I thought ahead of this podcast just because to show that I actually do and again, a lot of air quotes this episode, some work in uh, preparing these. I actually reached out to the actor on Instagram who played that kid called Zachary Gordon um, just to see if he knew what it was about. So I just said to him, um, sorry for the random question, but I've got an upcoming episode of a podcast covering National Treasure 2. Just wanted to ask you about the hand gesture. Um, do, you, do you sort of know what the deal was? And to my surprise, he actually responded um very kindly he said um oh that's a really unique question and his answer was the answer might sound silly but i just vaguely remember the director telling me to specifically make that hand gesture as i wasn't as i was only a kid i wasn't sure where the reference or idea came from so you could very well be right in saying it's a danny torrance thing so you know shout out to zachary gordon for taking the time to answer a maniac's question on instagram um so it could be a reference to The Shining. It could be a sign that the character was annoyed. Um, I feel like I put far too much effort and thought into that than it needed. Um, but that's where my life is now, which I need to know what hand gestures mean. That's As we come out of lockdown, that's where my life is. Um, it's been, I hope if nothing else, Ben, you've been absolutely enthralled by my hand gesture journey. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's you know, you've got to go the extra mile. This, this is what the listeners want. You know, you, this is you know this is this is what they 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 listen for is is to go the extra step. So, but no, I think it's always cool, isn't it? I, I, we you know we take it for granted, don't we? When you know we do these podcasts and and we're you know you go on social media and you know you try and reach out to people and and try and maybe get them on the show or you just try and ask them you know a question about stuff. And it's always um you know maybe it depends on who you're trying to reach out to, you know how how high up the food chain they may be. But it's always nice to um. 
it's you know that's that's the beauty of it which i found being on twitter and on instagram and twitter in particular is just having chats with people that you know you wouldn't do in a million years not because yeah. you know it's it's just that's just the way it is you know they may be in a completely different profession or a different age bracket or you know they live on the other side of the world it's but yeah that's no, nice. i think that's pretty that's pretty cool isn't it i think that just adds that just make gives you that extra bit of bit of lift and then when you when you discuss it in the podcast there's a lot of things that you know you discuss during episodes that you're sort of just kind of one it's your own opinion but two you're just kind of half guessing like yeah. oh, i wonder if i wonder if he did that because of this or i wonder why why did she do that i'd love to ask her i'd like i wonder wonder what he'd say about this and yeah, it's always pretty cool when you actually get an answer as to as to why something's happened. But yeah, no, I, I salute. Well, I have to say I salute you because that sort of you know that background knowledge and that time and effort that's gone into it, it pales. Um, well, I'd say Fiona's trivia that she presents on film vloggers is um, <laughs> is yeah is a, is a little step below that. So I salute you for your dedication and your the time and effort that's gone into that. Well, I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm throwing a gauntlet down to Fiona to pick her trivia game up. But I'll I'll leave the interpretation open yes, to yourself. <laughs> please do throw throw it down, throw it in her face if you can. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and edit in a clanking sound of a gauntlet hitting the ground <laughs> in post. Um, I mean, I suppose moving ahead and speaking of things, speaking of guesswork though, sort of racing ahead here. Obviously, the big crux of the first film was that they had to steal the Declaration of Independence. In this one, um, they eventually figure out that the the answers that they need to sort of get them to the City of Gold are found in the titular Book of Secrets. The only way they can get to that is by uh, basically kidnapping the president because you have to one-up the first one somehow as the president will never admit to that book being real if he's in the presence of anyone else. Um, so there's that scene where they basically... Uh, somehow fix the president's birthday to be moved to a very specific location. Um, ben Gates uh, gets into the party. He somehow curtails the president very, very easily, I might add. Like, if, if sort of you're the president of the United States, you know, you're at a high opportunity um, event where, you know, potentially a lot of eyes are going to be there, a lot of secret service. You're out in the open. You're going around and you're mingling. And then suddenly... The man who, as far as America is concerned, is, or is at least related to, perhaps the biggest traitor and or conspirator in American history, comes over to you and says, you want to come a secret cave with me, Mr. President? And then you're like, yeah, okay. I'm going to have to say you're not a very good president. Yeah, you know, no, it's... it's <laughs> yeah, the whole, the whole build-up to it is is, uh, is dubious, isn't it? The fact that you've just got people um, just like on the fly kind of booking where we're going to have the president's birthday. So it's the sort of thing where I kind of feel like you, you just you just book wherever you want. Does it, if it's fully booked, it, it just becomes unbooked because the, the president wants it. So <laughs> so yeah, you know that's yeah fine. You know they have to get him there. Um, I like how I like Cage. Um, I like how he just scubas in, and, and we get to see that the the waters being patrolled by in many boats as well. John Voigt's there, just you know uh, fishing, and they they tell him to kind of go. Um, but no, no, Cage just puts the scuba suit on and just and just swims in it's yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm okay with that I'm fine um so that that's pretty good um yeah as you said it's the um you know the president even makes reference to it even says oh you know gates you know how, how are you feeling considering what's what's come out recently you know how are you getting on and yeah he's just sort of just well you know these these things happen anyway mr president i do actually have this map <laughs> and i know i, I know well actually no, he pretends that he doesn't know that he studied um history and stuff at, at college 
He's like, oh, did you? Oh, I had no idea. Well, anyway, if you want to just come down this really dark passage with me, um, we can, you know, let's try and find out uh, where this entrance is. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's silly, but as you said, it, it's just it's finding a way to one-up some of the stuff that we saw in, um, you know, I guess, how do you go from stealing the Declaration of Independence? You know, what what is the na- the natural step up from that? It's It involves kidnapping the president. It's kind of the only thing that you can do to potentially outdo stealing the the declaration of independence so you know it works yeah i, I mean like i say you've got to one up the first form in some way shape or form and i suppose on on the back of that as well i mean surely the president would also be aware that ben gates had stolen the declaration of independence that feels like the kind of thing that the president would know um but that's just kind of not really referenced i think you just references it's the same tuxedo and he's like oh maybe one day i'll wear this for an actual event at some point which i thought that's a nice little nod um but it felt like all the makings to me of just like a level in the hitman games of just like rocking up trying to get to that high value target um obviously short of taking him out but the president i would say very very lax about the whole thing very very chilled knowing that his life is potentially in danger um, but he does eventually give him the information and says, you know, you've got to go to, the, you know, where else do you keep a book? A library, the Library of Congress gives him all those codes so we can figure out how to get into the room, how to unlock the, the latch. Again, there's an escape room waiting to happen here. Disney, call me, I have ideas. Um, and then they find it and then end up going to sort of Mount Rushmore, but um, one of the, the big lingering questions um, before we sort of touch on the, the city of gold and anything like that is that the president says to him, can you do me a favor? Um, can you look at page 47? And he's like, yep. But the big thing is we never find out what was on page 47. Um, no, no hint or reference at all. So this is like a big thing, you know, we can only speculate what was on page 47. Um, Online, there's a lot of talk and forums and pages and articles guessing what could be on page 47. Could it relate to a third film? Um, Did you have any inklings, theories, guesswork at all? Um, Maybe it's what that hand gesture meant from that boy. Maybe it's just a hog picture of every president that there's ever been as insurance. I don't know. Um, what would you think was on page 47, Ben? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I guess there, there is a brief mention of, of Area 51, isn't there, when they're, they're, he's going through the book and he's like, Area 51, Area 51. Oh, no, oh, oh no, no, we haven't got time for that. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I guess the, the you know, are aliens, have we been visited by aliens? Have, is, is there something else out there? But then, if if it's maybe to do with that and confirmation of of you know we're not the only being in the universe, we don't want to start maybe potentially going down in Jenna Jones territory um, with the crystal skulls, which is <laughs> yeah. So I kind of that you know I wouldn't be surprised if it was something to do with aliens, you know, and there's a, there's an alien treasure somewhere. Um, a ship came and, and crash landed and, you know, mm-hmm. people went in and found something that couldn't get in or it, it got moved somewhere else. So, but yeah, I, I guess they'd have to tread quite carefully with that. But, um, but no, no, it's, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, if that's not getting people excited enough to get a third film going, I don't know what is, you know, having that, just yeah. that lingering for the last, you know, the best part of 14 years, 
um, is not good. I mean, you know, everyone's yeah. chomping at the bit to find out what is page 47, what it, it involves. Exactly. I mean, like I said, they do make reference to Area 51, like a little, like quite a titillating reference to Area 51. But I suppose, again, because with these scripts, they have to line up so carefully with American history, otherwise it all falls apart. Area 51, again, as you pointed out, you could be dangerously going into uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull territory there. Um, I mean, some theories online said, you know... um, because basically the the, the um, book of secrets it it's uh, for presidents by presidents for presidents eyes only um, you know could it relate to I think they said eighteen and a half minutes of missing conversation from the Watergate tapes um, a mystery potentially relating to George Washington at Mount Vernon other secret societies as we said the um, the, the the Golden Circle obviously not touched upon again in the film. They said about George Washington because I know the president in this film mentions that George Washington is his favourite president and that he did history, uh, his studies or something like that. Looking into this further, there was a press day for the film and apparently someone posed the question to John Turtletaub as to what was on page 47. And his reply was, and I quote, I'll tell you what is on page 47. I think the single greatest secret in America today, which is the plot of Star Trek. Um, so Area 51, maybe, who knows? Um, but it's just a lingering question, which we've had for 14 years. We'll probably go on for the 15th year. Will we find out what's on page 47 in the TV series? Who knows at this point? Um, all we do know is that the lost city of gold does exist, which, um, our group plus Wilkinson to eventually find at the end when they find the Book of Secrets, they figure out that Mount Rushmore was carved basically to disguise a clue so that people would be put off the scent of the treasure. Um, and then they find um, a latch in a rock where we get a lovely opportunity of a cage scream here. He pretends that his hand has been absolutely cut off and screams. We can tick off the cage scream for this film. There it is. We've got it. Um, and then they go down into the cave and then just a lot of booby traps really until the cave of gold it's just every other line of dialogue is sort of oh there's a booby trap they've got the um, big square platform thing that they have to balance on and overcome that Um, Patrick and Emily get separated they have a little swing not a metaphor Uh, seems like they've found excitement for the first time since the divorce in that swing as well but then they, when they find the City of Gold, this is when we start getting the reveals from Wilkinson. Um, kind of suddenly, he's kind of... He, where he apologises for smearing the gate's name, he said it was the only opportunity to get them in on the hunt. It was his opportunity to make his family's names mark on history as well. So again, if I missed it, I, I assume... Does this mean that he was related to John Wilkes Booth? Um, or was he just a chancer who just decided to blackmail the gate's family? Or is that just a bit vague? Yeah, I'm no, sure. I, I'm not too sure either, actually, no. And him him just sort of admitting to Cage um, that it was all, you know, all a ruse and he, he just he set it all up and, and lied about how um, Thomas Gates had an involvement in the assassination. It's like, well, okay, that, that's fine. We, 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 you know, as the audience, we sort of kind of knew that or there was something more to the story. But but how does how does that prove to everyone else outside of, of this room, that you know, outside of the city that we're standing in? 
it's all well and good Cage just coming out and saying, oh, by the way, um, Mitch was, uh, he was talking shit. Like it never happened. So can you just make sure you just put that in the newspaper, please? Because he was lying. He's a big telltale. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, fine. But I've just, I've just not seen, I'm just not sure how that, how everyone else knows now, just because Mitch is, uh, in, before, you know, he, he unfortunately drowns, admits that he was, uh, he was telling tales. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too, sh- yeah, I, I'm guessing Mitch is, his big thing is he wants to find the treasure, but he wants his 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 family name to go down in history. But I don't know if that's because his family name at, at present time is tarnished somewhat because they have an involvement or, or their name, his family name has been linked to John Wilkes Booth or, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure as to, as to why other than obviously I know he lied to get Gates and co on board, but yeah, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I think it's potentially a bit of an oversight from the Wibblies here because I think um, the ending would have felt a little more complete if maybe they tied um, Wilkinson more into the conspiracy because it, it came off to me, I think, as we've been saying here, that he just happened to have a piece of the puzzle that he's been sitting on for 140 years and passed down through generations and I think they say he's an, an arms dealer or he's black market in some way, shape or form. That's how he, like Sean Bean, happens to have those funds. We can get around the world as well and clone those flip Motorola phones that we all remember so f- uh, fondly. But I think even if there was just a line of dialogue, just to be like, oh, um, you know, Wilkes, Wilkinson, um, I'm actually a descendant of John Wilkes Booth, so I'm trying to clear his name, or I'm just trying to frame you because my family name's been tarnished, or something like that. It would have, I think, rounded out his arc a little bit more because he's evil. Then he apologizes. Then they're trying to escape from the the flooding city of gold, and he tries to drown everyone. Apparently, there was a scene with John Voight where he actually stabs him or tried to cut him or something, but they had to cut that out um, because they didn't want to cross the line. Um, but then he, he flips the switch again and's like, uh, no, you know what? Actually, I will kill myself, actually. Um, which Riley's like, I vote for him to die, which was quite funny. Um, he's like, yeah, just, um, just tell people that I found it and yeah, we're good. Drown. Um, which is quite, quite a sudden change or multiple changes of tunes at the end. So I think like we were saying, like, I don't, I, I don't really know sort of how I feel about his end. I mean, again, if we're going to compare it most notably with the first film, um, you know, Sean Bean, he was just the bad guy throughout. There wasn't that sort of redeeming quality about him at the end. And he gets arrested. You know, the bad guy gets caught. He gets tricked. He gets outplayed. But in this one, it's like, I don't know what your motivations were. I still don't know by the end. And then you killed yourself. I don't really know how to feel about you or your arc or your motivations or or anything about you. But then there's that when he sort of lets the um the pushy lever thing go and the door shuts, there's that weird scene of him and it looks like it's him I think it's him in like in a cave and he's going like and then he goes and I don't know if that's meant to be showing him getting swept away by the current or if that was supposed to leave some kind of question mark, oh, he's been swept away, did he drown? Maybe he's flushed out somewhere in the the, the Rushmore Lake or whatever it is. Um, so I just felt like, even more so than page 47, I just had more questions than answers about his ending by the end of it. Um, and I don't know if it was similar for you or if you had a different take on his ultimate demise. 
No, no. I, yeah, I think I agree to be honest. I, I think that was there was a chance there at the end, as, as we just said, about to sort of redeem the character somewhat and, and make it a little bit more interesting. At least let him go out on a high and go, oh, right, okay. So, you know, a bit of exposition, but at least he's let us know as to why definitively he's doing this. Um, you know, it doesn't have to go through his whole backstory, but just just give us an idea. And we're like, oh, okay, well, okay, that makes a bit more sense, fine. Um, but yeah, no, as you said, it is very jarring. Um, <laughs> the, the, the switch between, right, well, I'm, you know, I'm getting out of here. Uh, actually, no, no, you go. Just let them know. Uh, Wilkinson, he found this, the name. Um, and yeah, to be honest, I'm not really... The chance has gone to redeem the character and give us a bit more backstory and give us more of an idea as to why he's doing this. So I, I don't really feel the need to, to then show him gasping for air before he then drowns. You know, I, I'm kind of, I could have probably not had that. I, I'm guessing, judging by what's <laughs> happening, that he's probably going to, yeah, he's going to probably drown um, yeah. or he's not going to make it out alive. So, you know, as you said, maybe having that extra shot, which you, you sort of think, is just a bit of a throwaway, like oh yeah, okay, just to confirm that he is now running out of uh, out of air and, and he's going to be drowning very soon. It is maybe a shot to show. Well, hang on, you know, maybe he's floating off somewhere else and he may be in the third one. I sort of hope that's not true, really. And if he is in the third one and he did somehow survive, you know, okay, but he needs. Um, we need Sean Bean coming back then. We, we need we need sort of like an ensemble cast of bad guys. You know, we need to get oh, those yeah. two back and then, you know, maybe maybe bring someone else in. Maybe bring like a female protagonist in, you know, someone in Gates's background, you know, maybe an ex-lover or something that comes in and sort of, you know, puts a spanner in the works. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think overall Mitch Wilkinson, yeah, wasn't really wasn't really doing the job for me. No, 100% agreed. And as you were saying it there, if it was going to be an ensemble piece, I was just kind of thinking, as you were saying, if they left it open for Wilkinson to return, uh, if they have Sean Bean return as well, um, again, maybe a female but um, sort of antagonist, protagonist or something like that, maybe bring in the secret societies a bit more because, hey, secrets be secret in. So, you know, maybe maybe some doors open for some kind of national treasure <laughs> sinister six kind of thing um which i think could be interesting even now um i think ed harris is still alive but even though it's just going to be a lot of old people running on rooftops at this point so maybe there's only so much action <laughs> um that they can realistically do at this point but um i think Honestly, for the third film, again, just speculation, it would either have to be Sean Bean and Ed Harris come back, maybe a new antagonist. Over at this point, you've just got to do the Danny Trejo machete thing and just send him to space at this point because there's no... What else What else can you do? You're like Nick Cage, you know, National Treasure 3, Moon Gold. Um, I think I think well, it's no, the see, only that, way that, that, that links in with potentially um, page 47. If if you put them in a in a rocket and shoot them off into space, that that could make a bit of sense because then page forty seven, you know, there could be a a secret colony somewhere in space that they need to go and have a look at, and there's lots of treasure on. So, yeah, I, I would I'd, I'd be game. I, I think we've established between the two of us during this episode that um, we we are certainly game for a, for a third <laughs> national treasure. And and it, I think um, you know anyone listening to this from Disney or whoever else. Um, you know, I think we've put some pretty strong arguments across to to get a third one, you know, greenlit and on the go. I think we've I think we've done reasonably well, and I think um, 
yeah, I think they'd be uh, they'd be fools not to get a third one in the game, <laughs> to be honest. Well, you know, I think at this point, in the point of recording, where we've been, we've been uh, waxing lyrical about uh, theme parks, escape rooms, hair awards, between all of that, if it's not clear that we want a third film, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it to put it out there that we really want um, a National Treasure three, ideally in space, but I will accept on Earth. Um, if you're going to push me, um, put a gun to my head and say it's got to be on space um, in on Earth, fine fine i'll let it happen um but you know but I, th- I think with all of this said and i you know i think we've we've staked our flags and made it our stance is very clear um as we look at wrapping up here ben what would be your sort of your um your final thoughts on national treasure 2 book of secrets it was i had i had a good time with it still it, it wasn't maybe as good as I, as I remember, but that's understandable. You know, I, I watched it as a, you know, as a, as I said, a very, um, you know, gullible and impressionable 15, 16 year old. So naturally I, I'm sure I would have had more fun with it compared to now. But um, I, th- I think talking about it, I, I think I was a little bit deflated after I watched it, but I think after the, our discussion, I've been like, yeah, do you know what? I, I'm there. I'm on board. You know, I prefer the first one, um, but I think the second one's got its merits. Uh, and I think as a, as a, you know, as a, a two piece, um, you know, hopefully soon to be a trilogy. I think it's fun, and I, I think they're both definitely worth checking out. Um, and it's always nice to see. It's always nice to see Cage. But and I, I made the point earlier when I said about how um, I made the I made the statement on on with Petros that um, National Treasure was my my favorite Cage performance. Um, and I think the thing with Cage, and that's what makes him so so good, um, is that he's he's so versatile and. He's so wide ranging with his with his films and how he you know he's acting that for Kate like when you watch a Cage film that can be you know for me anyway personally that that will be I'd watch that and go oh do you know what I actually think that's my favorite Cage film now just yeah. just on the spot you know I, I remember I saw Moonstruck for the first time a few months back and I was like oh my god yeah Cage is just adorable that, that that's <laughs> it that that that's my favorite Cage performance without doubt and then you know then I can go and watch Mandy. And be like, oh, oh, hang on a minute, no, 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 no. This is the cage I want. I, I want, I want the the shouting. I want the you know the maniac cage. Oh yeah, then this is now. This is my new favorite cage film. Um, and I, I think it it works. Like maybe it's just me, but I think it because of how cage is. Um, that's just how it works. You, I watch a cage film and I'm just like, oh, this is this is just so good. And then I watch another one. I'm like, oh, actually no, no. This is when he's putting in a different performance. Um, it's just. Yeah, I, I can just sort of go to and for with, with Cage's films. And so it's, it's quite hard for me to, to sort of nail down what, which is my sort of favourite Cage film, which is, I guess, testament to, to the man himself and just how bloody good he is. Absolutely. And you'll find no argument on, um, you know, that, that absolute rollicking statement from me. I think, I think it just speaks to, his, as you said, the versatility and the, uh, the skill of him as an actor that, even on films with you know that bear repeat viewings, I think there's always something more and new that you find when you watch a film again or you watch a new film. And like you said, you might watch Mandy and think, "Oh, this is Pete Cage," or Moonstruck, "This is Pete Cage," Conair, "This is Pete Cage." And I think the performances um, and how much you enjoy them, you enjoy them a, a bit more and a bit differently time after time. And um, there's just so many strings in his bow, and this is why I say you know you can't. You can't necessarily put your finger down on what makes him so exciting for me because you get that different cage and 
with the films that he does, you know, he isn't one type of actor. He's not just a dramatic actor. He's not just an action star. He's not just a this or a that. You can't, you, you never know what his next role is going to be because he's he's always keeping it interesting for us, the audience, for himself, um, finding ways that he can continue to push himself as an actor. Um, and I think, as he'll say himself, he's still very much a student of the game, you know, 40 years in to this crazy business that we call acting and and film. And um, he's still learning. Uh, I, as a humble disciple of Cage Senpai, and still here to learn from the master himself, and hopefully one day he will acknowledge me. Um, even if it's just to say the restraining order is coming, then absolutely fine. At least he knows that I'm here. Um, but that's like I say, um, National Treasure Two. Again, as you said, um, I don't think it is as good as the first one. Maybe some stuff it does a little bit too samey. I don't know if Ed Harris is. is captivating not that he's a bad actor in any way shape or form do like me some ed harris i think sean bean's villain was just a little bit better again not that it's a bad film perfectly serviceable sequel and i think together the two very lovely enjoyable films and thoroughly recommend checking them out currently on disney plus streaming at time of recording uh hashtag not an ad um but with that said, um, obviously, Ben, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Uh, for the listeners, uh, where can we find you on the socials? Uh, yeah, so Film Vloggers. Um, we can be found at um, all the normal socials, so Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's where I'm sort of most active. Um, so, yeah, yeah, please sort of seek me out. And, uh, and yeah, that's, um, I would say, in terms of for Film Vloggers, it's uh, it's very... We don't take ourselves too seriously. So, um, you know, go in, go into, if you ever listen to an episode with, um, you know, an open mind. Um, but no, it's, um, yeah, Daryl, you know, I can only, I really appreciate you asking me on. And as I said, right to, to kick things off, I still, um, am quite taken back that people actually want to listen to me waffling. Um, <laughs> so, so no, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. And I, I think we've, we've hopefully set something up, you know, pretty big in the future with the, uh, the hair awards. So I, I very much look forward to hopefully if you, if you allow me. Uh, to come back on uh, even before that and uh, and chat more cage because yeah it's been uh, it's been it's been great absolutely well on the journey to true cage nirvana the door is always open for return visitors and for repeat passengers and hopefully we'll see you again in the future but we wrap up this episode thanks once again to ben from film vloggers uh, all the links in the descriptions down below but we will see you in the next one thank you for listening if you have been but until then keep on Keep on caging, it's all you have to do. Thank you and goodbye.